back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on the this Monday, the ninth day of the month of January. Hope you all had a great weekend or having a great day. Having a much happier week than I think most of us did last week. Because whether you listen to this podcast or you watch it on Facebook, Instagram, or anywhere else... You would have seen that I almost cried doing this podcast. I almost, I I got kind of emotional while doing this when talking about the DeMar Hamlin near catastrophe, near a life-ending moment last Monday night on uh, Monday Night Football because, yeah, it's not the team I root for, but it's, it's still a living, breathing human being playing out right in front of us, seeing him have a heart attack, seeing him go into cardiac arrest and almost die on national television. And you now that there's been some of the heartless few and very few that have been out there on social media that have tried to act like, oh, we're playing this up too big, or what's the big deal? Plenty of people uh, a year have heart attacks and they don't get nearly this kind of attention. Those you know, those are the, the people that are walking around angry all the time because of all the millions of dollars that professional athletes make and the fact that they get to make a living doing something those people that complain about it could never do. But it hits you differently when you watch it happen right in front of you. Whether you were there at that building that night, a player on the field, a fan in the stands, or you're someone like me just watching on TV, hoping to see a good football game, and to see a 24-year-old man on, on a hit that seemed so innocent, wasn't anyone's fault. I mean, I've seen in the last week that clown former Jet Bart Scott try to insinuate that T. Higgins initiated this by lowering his uh, shoulder into his chest and that caused this, which I thought was one of the most ridiculous takes of all time. If we're going to if we're going to come out hard on Skip Bayless for his insensitive tweet right after that happened. We got to show the same energy, same fire, same uh, emotion for ripping Bart Scott a new one for his uh, response to all of this. But when 
you see this happen on TV in front of you. It just, it affects you differently, especially with how young he is. The only 24 to be having a heart attack. Now, on a positive end of things here, A, each and every single day since then, we have heard a positive update about DeMar's health, whether it be Wednesday night hearing that he opened his eyes for the first time in two days and was able to communicate through writing. By the end of the week, able to speak. Then over the weekend, able to communicate with teammates through FaceTime, whether it was after practice, after the game yesterday, uh, seeing him on social media commenting before the game, after the game. Now, the, it's all po been positive signs. He's still not completely out of uh, the woods yet because at last checked, I think he's still in the intensive care um, area of the hospital and still technically listed in critical condition. But all signs are pointing up for this kid, which is very good. The other positive is you hope that this brought to light maybe a medical condition about him that he didn't know about, the team didn't know about, and it protects him from any further issues. They, they can, with the advanced medical that we have these days, get to the root of the matter, get to figuring out, all right, how did the, uh, this happen and how can we make sure that this kid has a long, successful life in front of him. You know, whether he ever plays football again or not, and I think it's probably about 50-50 at this point. I mean, it, it, it's still too early to tell, and a lot of it is not just going to be a him decision. It's going to be a family decision. It's going to be up to what the doctors say he can and, and can't do. But seeing his reaction last week, seeing... The reaction of this country, which has been overwhelmingly in positivity, overwhelmingly in support for this kid who was a solid NFL player before this, but now uh, because of this has become a household name. Now, I'm sure this is the last reason in the world he would have wanted to become well-known, have an increase in popularity. And would have liked if his charity that he began two years ago reached the height that it has reached in the last seven days organically. But it has led to some positive things here, led to showing once again how great the human spirit is and how we should never take any day for granted. We should, we should never take anything we do for granted. We should never take these athletes that go out there and risk their lives playing this sport, which is by far the most dangerous professional sport out there. And some may want to argue uh, mixed martial arts or boxing, but when you see the after effects that these players deal with when their careers are over. And some of them are not luck 
lucky enough, like a J.J. Watt, to walk away on their own terms without any severe medical issues. A lot of them deal with post-career issues, especially what we've learned over the last 10 to 15 years with CTE and how uh, big an issue that has become amongst uh, retired NFL players. But you hope that the NFL does the right thing by this kid. And we've seen that the the Bills are already doing the right thing by him because financially they could have saved, you know, a decent chunk of change, not, you know, life-changing money, life-changing money for you and me, but not life-changing money as far as an NFL player is concerned because his contract being that he is a six-round draft pick contained a standard split in pay uh, that would have decreased by 50% uh, on his game check if he landed on the injured reserve. But the Bills realizing that, hey, this would be an awful look for us. This would be an awful look for the league. Plus, this is a great kid here that we're talking about that is dealing with an unforeseen situation here, having a heart attack on the field. Let's do right by him and make sure that his entire contract is fully guaranteed, especially for this year. Because he was he's set to earn a total of $800,000. $825,000 in the 2022 season. And he makes only about uh, 400 uh, or 40 grand per game check. That would have been cut in half to about 24 grand per game check if uh, they had stuck with the. Uh, clause in the contract, but they made an agreement with the NFL, the Players Association, to pay him in full, which is a very good thing. But like I said, we're not sure if he's going to play again. The the doctors um, have said that it's still too early to tell if that is a possibility for him to do. So being that the case... You hope they do right by him because players in this league, we know, unless you're the star, unless you're the lucky ones, only average about three to four years in the league. And those three to four years, though, will get you a pension, will get you um, a certain amount of money per month once you turn 55 years old. Well, he came very close to never getting that pension because he's only been in the league for two years. He would have had to have made it to four years before his family would have potentially gotten the pension from him if he was unable to play again. And who knows if he would have gotten that if he had died on the field. Because what many people fail to realize is the, when the players get into these lockouts over 
the CBA negotiations. It's more than just the salary cap and the financial structure of the league when it comes to marketing and TV money, the the split that they have with the owners in you know the the pie of it all that they're fighting for. They're fighting for post-career benefits. They're fighting for dis- disability policy. And w- when you read some of the things when it comes to these policies, and then you realize that these players' contracts are not 100% guaranteed, you realize how dirty the business of the NFL is, such as the disability policy in uh, this last CBA negotiation lessened from 22000 a month to 4000 a month. And yearly in this country, not just in this league, but in this country, only 15% of people who file for disability benefits get approved. And the NFL has the goal to think that should be lower, even though some of these guys don't come out of their playing careers the way they went in. Some of them, their careers is taken away from them and they're unable to live a normal life because of an injury they suffered while playing. Then you have the CTE uh, settlement that the the league was scared to death by and had to settle with uh, all the hundreds, thousands of complainants uh, against them. Otherwise, they would have been looking at an even bigger amount of cash they were forking over. Well, you realize that they've only paid about 6.5% of that settlement so far. And of that, 60% of the claims that qualify haven't even been paid. And then I talked earlier about the pension. You know, that the pension age, you got to reach 55. And that was lowered in the last CBA from 5,600 a month to 3,000 a month. So... Hopefully this week was a lesson to everybody when it comes to criticizing players uh, for how much money they make, criticizing the players when they go into these long lockouts against the owners, realizing they're doing it for a reason beyond just their salary. Now, I do love the way that the league handled this this week with it being a celebration and honoring uh, DeMar rather than referring to it as tributes. Because tributes would mean that DeMar Hamlin is not with us anymore. And I'm not sure if, if he had passed away this week, I'm not sure if they would have been playing football yesterday. I think I still believe that there's a chance they would have had to have um, pushed the season off a week because it seemed like it was league-wide this affected players, not just with the Bills and the Bengals. And I think it was the only thing to do if they were going to continue on with the season as was to cancel the rest of Bills-Bengals. There was no way that you could continue that game with the emotion amongst players, coaches, fans thinking 
we're here for a second time in such a short period because there's a young man laying in a hospital bed right now that was fighting for his life and almost died on this field. I mean that there no one I don't think anyone would have been truly able to emotionally get up for that. So it was the only right thing to do, but it does it did affect seeding, it did affect standings in the playoffs. And it, well normally when it comes to situations beyond anyone's control, they w- where games would be canceled, they would go to a winning percentage and head-to-head matchups to, to determine seating, determine home field advantage, things like that. They realized they, they had to come up with some kind of system here because you were going to be having two teams that were playing 16 games and one team playing 17 games when it came to the race for the one seed. Now, whenever you have... Uh, to recreate rules on the fly like this, someone is going to be upset. Someone's going to feel like they were screwed over. And I can understand the Bengals organization, the players, the fans feel like, hey, they got some kind of raw deal here, considering at the time the game was canceled, they were leading. And we'll never know what the final outcome of that game uh, was. But I do think they acted a little bit petty, a little bit childish, you know, with Joe Mixon and the whole coin toss celebration after a touchdown yesterday. If you let that kind of thing, A, you got to read the room because it was not because of a weather catastrophe. It was not because uh, the the game was not canceled uh, because of something where, oh, you could just make it up later on, uh, such as, oh, a COVID outbreak or something like that. A guy almost died on the field, all right? They showed a a lot of sympathy, showed a lot of support for the Bills and and DeMar, but you can't then come out and act like the little babies that you were being about this after the fact, you just got to roll with the punches because then that kind of stuff will affect you going into your next game. You'll be either too much of us against the world, trying to being too motivated to prove something, and it could screw up whatever good mojo you had going there. the The good thing for them is they beat the Ravens, who pretty much played nobody yesterday of significance, had a, a third-string quarterback going up against them and were able to handle things pretty easily um, to avoid the potential of a coin toss situation for home field advantage between them and the Ravens uh, this coming week. But you still had both the Bills and the Chiefs win over this weekend, and even though Buffalo owned the tiebreaker over Kansas City. They had one less win, meaning uh, Kansas City's the one seed getting a first round bye. But you couldn't give Kansas City, you couldn't give the Chiefs home field advantage. You could not have them playing an AFC championship game 
against either the Bills or the Bengals in Arrowhead when they beat them. Uh, when I mean, when both of them beat them the, during this given season. That now, As I said, we'll never know what the final result of that game a week ago Monday was. But you had to come up with this alternative answer to it. A neutral site, to me, was the only fair solution here. If we do get to... Bills or Bengals versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Who knows? We may never even see that AFC title game. You always see it every year in the postseason where somebody we're not expecting to rises up and upsets a favorite in this. So it remains to be seen. And we'll talk a lot about these playoffs as we go on here. A lot... a lot of things uh, I need to talk about today. No, finally, the disastrous end of the Jets season yesterday. Uh, the NFL playoffs. A potential coaching carousel about to start in the league. Mixing some baseball at the end as well. So, a lot of things I want to get to today. A lot of things to get into. And I hope you stick around through all of that. So, at this time, please put your feet up. Sit back. Relax. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. I got to be honest with you all. The only reason I watched yesterday's Jet game is because I'm a fan of the team. And quite frankly, I didn't even have my full attention on it. I put the game on my iPad here and had the red zone on my TV because A, that game was a snooze fest. That game was just so hard to watch on so many levels. But B, they... I after the the way this last month has played out, the fact that they haven't won a game since November 27th, they had nothing really to play for other than, quote-unquote, pride. Why was I going to give my full effort, my full attention to a team that threw away a great opportunity? Remember, November 27th was the beginning of this year's version of of the Mike White era. November 27th was when the Jets beat the Bears in that torrential downpour at MetLife Stadium. And since then, they had just seemingly fallen apart. Really, the fall apart began after the Buffalo game because at least they were competent offensively in the both the Vikings and the Bills games. At least they looked like they had a shot at winning those games. But then you had the injury to Mike White, forcing them to go back to Zach Wilson. The Boo Birds that raided down on this kid 
in MetLife Stadium for back-to-back miserable losses against the Lions and then that horrendous Thursday night game against the Jaguars. To the point where, you know, White comes back out there against Seattle and the team lays an egg. They no-showed and were out of this game within the first 10 minutes of uh, gameplay. So why was I going to give my full attention, especially when you have two third-string quarterbacks playing in this game. I mean, the, the only positive here is with the Jets losing to the Dolphins and then the Bills taking care of the business against the Patriots, it knocked New England out of the postseason. I'll tell you, that was as emotional a scene as I've ever seen. The fact that you have Naheem Hines take back the opening kickoff for a touchdown and then do it again in the third quarter – just an unbelievable scene there. And I know the Patriots uh, had a lead at one point in that game, but anybody walking into that building against uh, the Bills yesterday really had no shot. That that was where my attention was more focused on, more so than Jets and Dolphins, because it was just a painful reminder on what the last month of this season has been. You realize that the Jets scored 15 points combined in the last three games. The Jets have not scored a touchdown since the fourth quarter against the Detroit Lions in week 15, which was December 18th. We're talking over three weeks ago now, people. And you realize that Going back to the final, what was it, nine games of this season, they've scored eight touchdowns, and most of those came in that game against the Bears. They have been a pitiful offense for over a month and a half now. That's why, you know, there's no more excuses that can be made. No more, oh, White looked good, Flacco looked good. Uh, Johnson and Shreveler look good in this offense. Michael LaFleur has got to go. Michael LaFleur has got to be out. And listen, nothing can be off the table here when it comes to the Jets. If Robert Sala is not willing to fire his best buddy here, whether it comes today, tomorrow, Wednesday, whenever, if he does not fire this guy this week, he's got to go as well. On one condition, though. And that condition is that you've gotten a conversation, back-channel conversation with Sean Payton saying that, all right, I'll be uh, coming here. I'll come over and take over football operations and be the head coach of this team. I'll save this franchise or try to save this franchise like Bill Parcells tried to do 25 years ago. Unless you get to Sean Payton, then you keep solid. The only way, the only way Michael Floor can stay is is if Zach Wilson is not the starting quarterback next year. And if Zach Wilson is the starter, you got to go get a veteran, more experienced offensive coordinator. But who knows? Zach Wilson may be damaged goods at this point. At twenty, even at only twenty three, and only two years in this league. He may be so broken beyond belief 
that there's no recovery process for him here as the New York Jets quarterback. And could you really blame him? I know we're past this mentality of, oh, it's football, toughen up, um, you know, man up. You know, we realize these athletes, you know, are just like you and me. They have a human heartbeat. They have a brain. They have emotions. They're not just robots, unlike what some people try to act like. They're not just here for our enjoyment or for us to win our fantasy leagues. Now, that you got to think that this kid's brain is fried based on the fact that Robert Sala, amongst the bad things he did this year, and you could take into it not having experienced coaches on the staff as far as the roles that they're serving or not being great in clock management, being awful when it comes to using his timeouts. The worst thing he did was how he mishandled this locker room. As great as Garrett Wilson was this year, he needed to put the kibosh on it early on with how Garrett Wilson was. No, And it wasn't just Garrett Wilson throwing his arms up with Zach Wilson. He was doing that with uh, every one of the quarterbacks if they missed him wide open. But most to Zach Wilson. He was most over the top with his emotions and how annoyed he would get if Zach Wilson missed him on a shot down the field. And you you can't, it's bad if a veteran is showing up a, a rookie like that, but you can't allow a rookie to be doing that with a young quarterback, especially if you're, whether it's window dressing or you really believe that this kid long-term is going to be part of your franchise. Whether you really believe that He's your answer at the quarterback position. I mean, they kept saying for the last month that, oh, Zach Wilson's story is not completely written here yet with the Jets. Well, the only way that that story can continue is without Michael LaFleur here. If Michael LaFleur stays, you got to go get a veteran quarterback, which is something they should do anyway. Because... Obviously, this franchise can't figure out how to develop a quarterback here. We've seen, and not to say Geno Smith would have ever worked out here because it had been about a decade between his time being drafted with the Jets to finally having success with the Seahawks. But Pete Carroll realized what works and what doesn't work for Geno Smith. You saw, even though they missed the postseason, Sam Darnold, toward the end of the year, start to look like a competent quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. And who knows if that same thing happens with Zach Wilson here or elsewhere, or if he's just another Ryan Leaf or Jamarcus Russell. But you you shouldn't have thrown him right to the fire at the very beginning. And if you were going to do that, you had to have a veteran OC here, not somebody who's serving in that role for the first time in their life. I mean, you seeing his comments in this last week saying, oh, hindsight 2020, that maybe we shouldn't have thrown him in there 
at the beginning. Yeah, no duh, you think? But, you know, the, the other thing that probably hurt Zach Wilson uh, mentality-wise is not just the fans booing, but the Mike effing White stuff. And while that was cute, while it was a fun story, and I hope Mike White has success in this league somewhere, he has a chance to be a backup for a while. I don't think he's ever going to be anyone's starter now because he's showing two years in a row that he can't consistently stay on the field. And seemingly every minor nick turns into something uh, that costs him playing time. But the fact that this entire team was walking around chanting Mike F. and White, they had 20-plus guys showing up for a game wearing Mike F. and White t-shirts. I didn't realize at the time how big of a problem it was going to be, but it clearly was a problem for this team because it turned into a 52 versus 1 scenario. And while Robert Sala... Like I said, was continuously saying to all of us, oh, he's part of the future. He clearly wasn't saying that to that team. He clearly wasn't going into that locker room, talking with the leadership council, saying, hey, guys, listen, we, we understand you you love Mike White. You're enthusiastic about the way he's playing, but knock the crap off. Stop with the T-shirts. Stop with the chance of Mike F. and White because that's essentially saying that – we hate this other guy, that we don't like this other guy, and he's on your team. Now, it, it was clear, based on reports, that Zach Wilson was losing this team as it was. But you cannot have that mentality running through a locker room, especially if there was the chance, and as it turned out, it did happen, that Zach Wilson ended up playing again this year. And there's no way that you can, as they say, put lipstick on a pig here. This was an awful season. This was a disappointing season. I don't care that they started off 6-3 and three or were 7-4 and four at around Thanksgiving time. You didn't win another game. You went winless through December and January after having a 75% chance of making the postseason six weeks ago. You completely blew it and didn't win another game. And that's on everybody here. That's on this coaching staff. That's on Joe Douglas for the fact that the offensive line fell apart and they had no answers on how to solve it. How this offense seemed to die after they lost Brees Hall. So that's why everything's got to be on the table here. Not just firing LaFleur, but questioning Douglas, questioning Sala. And if they're back, they better make the place playoffs next year. Otherwise, they're going to be out. The only person I'm firing them for is Sean Payton coming in and taking control. I don't, I don't understand this infatuation that's out there with Jim Harbaugh. I, I really don't. When Yeah, he's been to a Super Bowl, something that the Jets only dream about doing. But other than that, he's lost every big game he's ever been in between college and the NFL. And now 
he's dealing with scrutiny at Michigan. You've got this investigation uh, as far as uh, recruiting violations that occurred uh, during the COVID-19 dead period in college football. And it, it seems like he's not cooperating with the investigation and may get dealt with uh, multi-game suspension next year and might try to run from that to the NFL, which would make him a liar and the ultimate hypocrite, considering he told Michigan last year after he kind of danced with possibly going back to the NFL, I believe he was in talks with uh, the Vikings last year, that it wasn't going to be a yearly thing, that it was a one-time dabble and that he's Michigan for life. Clearly, he's not a, a, a man in his word. And as I said, you know, you really can't trust this guy in the big game. Yeah, his record looks impressive at Michigan, 74-25. and 25, But he's 1-6 in New Year's uh, six bowl games and 0-2 in the college football playoff including uh, last week losing to TCU in the semifinals. So, you know, he could state all he wants, how enthusiastic he is about the 2023 season. He's once again trying to run for a safe landing spot in the NFL. And I hope, I really hope that's not with the Jets because he's not proven enough for me, for my liking, to warrant all of uh, this full autonomy, all of this control over an organization. Well, I got that out of the way. I got my last jet thoughts for a while out of the way, unless something unforeseen happens in the next week. It's time to get back to real football, the important football to talk about. And we're going to do that next talk about the playoffs coming up this week, as well as what happened yesterday to get us to this point. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Got to give a lot of credit to Mike Tomlin. Got to give this man who sometimes I think goes underrated or underappreciated across the sport for the job that he has done. And listen, I know he's been to two Super Bowls in the 16 years as head coach, but it seems like at times great coaches' performances get covered up by the shadow of the cloud that is the Bill Belichick, the Belichick era that we are living in. But you cannot deny the greatness of Mike Tomlin. We cannot undersell the greatness of him when you consider all he's had to deal with over the years. Will it be Antonio Brown's nonsense? Uh, Big Ben at times getting suspended and then dealing with injuries along the way. And still, he always kept this team in the hunt, kept them in contention. And this year looked like it was going to be the most difficult year 
to do that, considering he came in with a quarterback room of Mitchell Trubisky and a rookie in Kenny Pickett that you had, quite frankly, no idea what you were going to get out of either one of these guys. They got off to an awful start on the season, blew a game against the Jets, lost TJ Watt very early on to injury, started off two and six, even I think to one and four at one point, but was able to rally the troops, finish seven and two, and continue what has been now 16 consecutive non-losing seasons as the head coach of the Steelers. And I don't think that's something that we can just undersell, that we could just say, oh, it's no big deal, and we shouldn't appreciate it because they missed the postseason. you got to look at, A, what a coach is dealing with at times, the circumstances beyond his control, and babe, we see so many of these guys get thrown out and recycled for not having w- winning seasons. And for some reason over the years, he's received heavy criticism, um, especially by Steelers legend Terry Bradshaw, just because they have only won one Super Bowl in his time. Listen, as a Jet fan... I'll sign up for what Mike Tomlin has done with the Steelers any day of the week. If the, if you if that ever gets boring, please give me that kind of boring. And I quite frankly, I don't understand why the Texans fired Lovey Smith after one year. It kind it it really it feels like they had him in place as just a guy to be their coach for a year until they could truly get the the head coach situation figured out, if that makes sense. Just a placeholder, and then when someone that they really like comes along, they could just kick him to the curb. But how could you expect him to have any success with that roster? That roster was designed to fail. That roster was designed to lose games. I mean, Maybe he's getting fired because they won two games in the last couple of weeks that knocked them out of the first overall pick in the draft. And that, thanks to the fact that the Bears just bottomed out after October, now leads them to be picking second overall. Hey, in all likelihood, you're still going to get the chance to pick whatever quarterback that you want to select. Whoever is the the darling of your eye, whether it be uh, C.J. Strauss or one of these other uh, quarterbacks, you're still going to have your pick of the litter because the Bears are not going to draft a quarterback. They're likely going to draft a defensive player with that first pick. Or maybe they traded off for a boatload of picks because they have their guy there in Justin Fields. I just thought that was kind of unfair for Lovey Smith to be the first casualty of, ironically, Black Monday. And you, you know, you, you've seen that, that I think there's a, a misconception out there about the potential future of Sh- Sean McVay. Sh- 
people are saying, you know, that with these reports that Sean McVay may not return as the Rams head coach next year. Sean McVay, the only way he doesn't return as the Rams head coach is by his own personal choice. He, if he remember, he was thinking about retiring after winning the Super Bowl last year, or should I say, leaving coaching for a while and going and working for Amazon alongside Al Michaels before they hired uh, Kirk Herbstreit, or going to Fox or going to CBS and uh, becoming a broadcaster with one of them. Sean McVay is still going to have a long successful run as a head coach. Now, Rams and Rams fans are probably hoping that it's as their head coach, but he's earned the right with the fact that up till this year, he had never had a losing season. He won a Super Bowl, been to two in his uh, relatively short time there with the Rams. He's earned the right to take some time away evaluate his future. And if he wants to take time away from coaching, kind of like you know, Sean Payton did this past year, God bless him. He's still he's still so young. He's still in his late thirties. So there he's got plenty of a future ahead of him. And there's always gonna be you know, he'll be the new name once Sean Payton chooses his new landing spot this year and if Jim Harbaugh comes back to the NFL He'll be the new name that every year, just like uh, it was with uh, Payton and Harbaugh this year, just like it's been with Bill Cower for the last 16 years, he'll be the new name that every offseason when teams are in that coaching carousel, their fan base will say, oh, are you going to give Sean McVay a call? Are you going to see if he wants to be our head coach? Now, his what could have been his final act as Rams head coach was an overtime loss to the Seahawks yesterday. And now give Baker Mayfield credit. He was on his best behavior with the Rams. But in all likelihood, his future is not there. Not because of the interception he threw in overtime, but as long as Matthew Stafford is healthy and ready to go, he is their guy. Um so Baker Mayfield, if he wants playing time, is going to have to look elsewhere. But that win, along with the results of Sunday Night Football, got the Seahawks into the postseason. They had to kind of backdoor their way in after a 6-3 and three start. But hey, a playoff spot is a playoff spot, and they owe a lot of help to the Detroit Lions. Or a big thank you to the Detroit Lions. And I knew the Lions were going to come in and play their ass off last night. I knew that they were going to not just lie down here and act like, oh, let's start our off-season vacation plans. Because Dan Campbell gets that team up. He get They don't have a lot of you know, Pro Bowl-level talent. They don't have a, a lot of guys that are going to be in consideration for all pro lists. But what they have is a lot of heart, a lot of desire. They have a head coach that is seemingly aware of his surroundings at all times and knows how to 
get the best out of his players. He had them in a mindset all week of, hey, guys, listen, there's a good chance we're not going to make the postseason. But we're going up against a Packers team that we've already beaten this year, and they think that was a fluke. Remember, uh, Aaron Rodgers, after throwing four interceptions against us, said "Oh, that it, it was a fluke and we shouldn't have lost to that team. Well, let's show them what that team can do in their building. And you know, early on, that they had some uh, penalties that were costly for them. Took a touchdown off the board with a holding penalty, as well as uh, took a turnover off the board with a hands-to-the-face penalty. But they were able to keep the Packers' offense in check, especially with, I don't know why, you know, uh, LaFleur thought it was a smart idea to go for a fourth and one uh, in their own territory in the first quarter last night. That seemed like an act of desperation. I and mean, Just kick the ball away and play field position. Your defense was doing a, an all right, solid job there in the first half of that game, but now, they were not capitalizing on the Lions' mistakes, whether it be the missed field goal. They fumbled, uh, Aaron Jones fumbled the football right before halftime to give the Lions a chance to put some points on the board. They kept having to settle for field goals when they were in dead position to go uh, and put seven on the board. And then the Lions, just in the crucial moments, were making the clutch plays. We're making the smart plays, converting multiple fourth downs in the fourth quarter. You get that final drive where on second and 17, it looks like, oh, maybe they're at risk of giving Rodgers the ball back for one last drive here to possibly send them into the postseason. But there was the wackiness where Amon St. Brown, uh, the hook and laterals the ball. I don't even think he actually caught the ball. It looked like it was more of a volleyball set where he just kind of pushed the ball at uh, um, DeAndre Swift and he was able to get them in close enough field position to continue that drive, a drive that would ultimately win them the game and end the Packers season and what's been a disappointing season of Packers football. And... Now the the questions are going to be ongoing every week now for the next two months until we get close to unrestricted free agency on March 15th. What is Aaron Rodgers' future? Is he going to retire? Is he going to remain with the Packers? Is he going to continue playing but move on and play with a different team? He claims he's not going to hold the franchise hostage and that he's not going to take forever to make his decision. But we've seen how he's acted about this each of the last two off seasons. It's kind of become a little bit Brett Farvish. Not it hasn't gone to the point where oh he's retired and then comes back at the start of training camp yet. But it goes a little bit deeper than I think that Packers front office would want it to go. They would like a resolution to this and figure out what they're going to do with Jordan Love as well sooner rather than later, but it's a disappointing end to what was a disappointing start. They teased their fans after what was a four and eight start by winning four in a row. But in in the end, Rodgers 
didn't come come up big in the, the biggest game, was uh, quiet in the fourth quarter last night, and now they get sent home by, as he referred to it, that team as Seattle goes to the postseason. A postseason that will get started on Saturday as at 4.30 you have Seahawks, Niners with the nightcap of Chargers, Jaguars down in uh, Florida. And now I, I don't understand what the Chargers were doing yesterday. They had everything locked up. There was no, by the time their game started, they knew they were going to be the fifth seed. There was no way for them to move up or down in playoff seeding. So why they put some of their most important players at risk such as Mike Williams and Joey Bosa playing them, especially when these guys have had a hard time staying healthy over the last couple of years. Listen, I would have liked it if the New York Giants had played their guys for a drive yesterday, considering they haven't been in the postseason in a long time, and I wanted them to stay on a consistent rhythm, stay on a consistent pace. But I understand not wanting to put either Daniel Jones or uh, Tyrod Taylor at at too much of of a risk of being concerned about, you know, their health and the health of Saquon Barkley. I just don't understand the the need for, you know, they were playing these guys into the second half. And now you got Mike Williams dealing with a back injury and those, those kind of things, I don't care how... Go to shape you're in, how great a doctors you have. Those kind of things do not just, oh, at the snap of a finger, wear off. Trust me, even though I'm not a trained pro athlete, I've dealt with uh, back issues before. They're a pain in the ass to deal with. And the Bosa, who seemingly, unlike his brother, is injured every time you turn around, you know, that, that would have been knowing the outcome of Bengals-Ravens, knowing that your seed was safe no matter what, that would have been the perfect time to sit those guys and protect them. Sunday, you'll have Dolphins versus the Bills. Remains to be seen who the hell is playing quarterback with uh, the Miami Dolphins. They they have not ruled out Tua Tangovola. I'm sure they're hopeful that Teddy Bridgewater is fully healthy if he can't go, but I mean, Dolphins, that could be the biggest blowout of the weekend if they've got to uh, play uh, Thompson again at quarterback because, like I said, that Jet-Dolphin game was an eyesore to watch yesterday. They they could have played five or six more quarters and neither team was going to score a touchdown with how bad these offenses were playing. I'm sure right now, he'll never admit it, but I'm sure right now Kirk Cousins is... Pretty annoyed, pretty pissed off with the kind of middle finger that the the NFL has given him by putting him in the 430 time slot on Sunday because we all know that Kirk does not handle anything outside of 1 o'clock starts very well and has not been a good postseason uh, quarterback. And listen, this is a spot for the Giants. I don't expect them to go on a deep postseason run like they did in 07 or 2011. And like I said, I would have liked if they played everybody yesterday. But this is a spot where they can 
say, hey, let's have some fun. To hell with it. No, we're looked at as the underdog of all underdogs throughout this entire postseason. They're looked at, I think, if you were seeding these teams, AFC and NFC combined, 1 through 14, they would be, you know, at 13 or 14. No one is giving the Giants any shot at doing really anything uh, this postseason. So you can go out there, let it all hang out. Take some chances. Take some risks. Go for it on some fourth downs that normally you probably wouldn't uh, go for it on. Because you're going up against a Vikings team that some are arguing is the worst 13-4 and team in the history of the NFL. When you look at their point differential and how you know, they seemingly are in close games all the time. Remember, the Giants just barely lost to them only a couple of weeks ago. So they've got a clear shot to be that upset of the weekend. I don't know what to expect out of Ravens-Bengals on Sunday night because I don't know who's playing quarterback for the Ravens. I mean, you can't take much out of their meeting yesterday because the Ravens didn't play anybody. So you know they were kind of kind of be mailing it in. But we we haven't heard any positive updates about Lamar Jackson in weeks. We don't know what he's doing, if he's even doing football-related activities. And is... Now, is, is there some kind of strain in this organization, what is viewed as one of the strongest and tightly run organizations in all of the NFL? Is, is there a strain here between him and the franchise that you know, he wants to play and they're not letting him, or he, he's not? they want him to be back out there, but he's saying that, oh, he's not ready, and in the back of his mind, he's kind of giving them one big giant middle finger. Uh, and just wanting to look ahead toward free agency since he hasn't gotten his long-term contract. I mean, if they if, if they are, you know, playing Hundley or if they have to play Brown against this Bengals team again uh, next week, they've got no chance of pulling off this upset and moving on in the playoffs. But of course, the most talked about game in this next round is going to be the Monday nighter next week. The two teams that most of America hates, that most of America hates hearing, getting the attention that they get, but we're getting Cowboys versus Buccaneers on Monday night football for the final game in wildcard weekend of the postseason. And listen, There's no way to sugarcoat it. This year was a human eyesore to watch the Buccaneers offense at times. But you can say a lot of that same thing about the way Dak Prescott has played quarterback this year. Tied for the lead in interceptions with Davis Mills. And remember, Dak missed five games. So he's thrown 15 interceptions in a 12-game span. This has not been a good year for Dak Prescott. And this kind of game here you know, could determine Mike McCarthy's future as the head coach of the Cowboys. Especially, you know, 
You know, right now, Jerry Jones is whining, crying, complaining over the fact that the Cowboys are a 12-win team, but they're going on the road in the first round to play a team that is under 500. And it, heaven forbid, they lose this game, a game that they currently are three-point favorites in. You know he's going to be whining, crying, and complaining at the owners' meetings this offseason saying, well, you know, we got to change these rules here. I think it's unfair if a team with double-digit wins has to go on the road in the first round and play a team with a losing record. Remember, he's the same one that cried and complained for the seventh team to be added to each conference in the postseason. So, no. Really, nothing should surprise us anymore when it comes to Jerry Jones and what he wants to see when it comes to playoff seating. You know, they say this is the best weekend in the entire football schedule. This weekend, as well as division round, there's going to be some kind of upset here. There's going to be something that unseats the balance of power here and goes against what we expect in the the postseason and deters somebody's pre-postseason Super Bowl prediction. What it's going to be? The hell if I know. But I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. Still got some more to go here on keeping sports with M3. Going to come back and close things out with some baseball thoughts on Mets, Yankees, as well as an unexpected signing over this last week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. So I can see that Robert Sala is wasting no time in setting a theme for 2023. That is if he is back in 2023. I'm reading on Twitter that he has put in every one of the players' lockers a black t-shirt that contains one word. Finish. That's something that the Jets have not been good at as a franchise over the years, now, like I said earlier, had a 75% chance of making the postseason on November 27th and lost six consecutive games to fall out of playoff contention. So they've got to get the deal done uh, next year. They've got to make the postseason. Otherwise, Sala and Joe Douglas are gone, are done as head coach and general manager. Now, I mentioned earlier that there was an unexpected signing this last week. And it wasn't free agent signing, but as far as a contract extension. The Red Sox locked up Rafael Devers to an 11-year extension for $331 million. And I'm surprised about it on two fronts here. Number one, they were not willing to pay Xander Bogarts. They were not willing to keep him around for the long term, even though he had 
always been a very good, consistent player for them. And number two, Devers was a year away from free agency. And it's not like, oh, he's the age of Aaron Judge being a a year away from free agency and just wanted to finally get that one big deal. He's 26 years old. He's been a great bat for them. Has shown, His defense has improved along the way. And I never thought he was going to be as you know, solid defensively as he's been for this team. But I figured a year away from free agency, he, you know, most guys wouldn't have you know, locked up this kind of deal. But we don't know everybody's family background. We don't know, you know, what these players are all dealing with, you know, when it comes to their upbringing and, you know, family-wise. So, you know, you can't, you can't knock a guy for accepting $300 million when it's thrown in front of him. That's why I never, I, ne- I never was one to say, oh, Fernando Tatis – signed too early with the Padres. When you have the opportunity to cash in, you got the money in front of you, take it. You never know what is going to happen tomorrow. We've seen what's happened with Tatis the last couple of years with injuries and and the suspension. I, it just it kind of caught me off guard. It's, it surprised me, especially with how the Red Sox feels for the last year or so are operating – like they're a minor league organization. Heim Bloom has been running that team like the the Tampa Bay Rays rather than the big market Boston Red Sox. And speaking of big market teams, now the two teams in my area, the Mets and the Yankees. Now you, you look at the Mets and I'm surprised that it's taken this long for them to, to get frustrated about the Carlos Correa situation. Because we're going on now almost three weeks, and it seems like there is no end in sight when it comes to their negotiations with him. Remember, just hours after his deal fell apart with the Giants because they didn't like something they saw in his physical he agreed to a deal with the Mets for 12 years, $315 million in the way early hours of the morning of December 21st. Well, the Mets doctors that weekend, when doing the physical, they saw the same thing that the Giants doctors saw, and they were like, whoa, 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 here, we've got to put uh, the brakes on this deal. We don't like what we're seeing in that right ankle of his, it looks like that's something that over time could develop arthritis and he could be truly a non-existent player for them in these, you know, years five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and 12 of that deal. Whereby, you know, age 33, 34, you're looking at paying a guy million to really do nothing for you. So they've been trying to work on renegotiating the steal, 
But as usual, Scott Boris is not playing ball here. And uh, him and Correa want to stick to the, uh, the deal that was agreed to, which is in their right. And this is the one and only, uh, or should I say the second and hopefully last time for Correa that he's hitting free agency. He was hoping to get this kind of deal last year and it never amounted to itself. But if you're the, the Mets, you really shouldn't feel any public pressure. You you should do the right thing by yourself. And if you don't like that, the, the way the, the physical looks, if you're not comfortable giving him that that deal and he, him and Scott Boris are not willing to go on a lesser deal and lower the the number of years and the average annual salary, just walk away. You've already spent half a billion dollars on players this offseason. You already had a team that won over 100 games last year, and you've while you lost DeGrom, you added Verlander. You added David Robertson to the bullpen after re-signing uh, both Diaz and Adovino. You added the Japanese pitcher Senga as a replacement for Chris Bassett. Yes, you do have concerns about offense at the capture position with replacing Navarro, using Navarro to replace uh, James McCann. But you have these young kids there in Alvarez and Beatty that the organization likes a lot, and they have a chance to be fixtures in this team, not just in the future, but this coming year. They have a chance to not just be the future, but be the now, especially with the DH position wide open there. And listen, you brought back Vogelback, but he did nothing to really say that, oh, he should be locked in for over 130 games at DH where his his at-bats should be guaranteed. He's not making a lot of money. You could cut ties with him at any time if it's as much of a drag as it was last year. If you had brought in Correa, that would have been a, a, a block on Beatty playing for this team, a block on getting another young, powerful lefty bat in this lineup, something that you know, looking on it on paper is something that you could really use in a lineup that is outside of McNeil and Nimmo, mostly right-handed. So, you know, if he's not willing to play ball here, move the hell on. Let let the Minnesota Twins make that mistake. It seems like they're still willing to throw a decade for close to $300 million at this guy and not give a damn about uh, the the results of either his physical with the Giants or the Mets. Let them make that mistake. Let that cripple them for the next decade. You've got a good enough team to go out there and do special things this year without Carlos Correa. Don't let this hang over your franchise like some dark cloud. And finally, with the Yankees, there seems to be a, a misconception out there amongst the fan base with what this team did this past week. No, they didn't add um, Brian Reynolds from the Pirates to play left field. And we still got a month to go until pitchers and catchers report. We'll see if they make a trade between now and then or just going to stick with the combination of Cabrera and Hicks in left field, which I 
hope they don't do, but it, it seems more and more likely uh, by the day. But they added uh, last week both Brian Sabian and Omar Minaya to be senior advisors to general manager Brian Cashman. Added two guys who have been in baseball for a long time. We know the success Brian Sabian's had with the San Francisco Giants. And Omar Minaya has been a quality GM, a quality front office executive in his own right. He was the the last GM of the Montreal Expos and they had some years where they were rather competitive. He he made you know the big trade that you know sent Pedro Martinez to Boston, but also made a, the deal that brought Bartolo Colon to uh, Montreal. But you know the, he also he had some good years with the Mets before things kind of started to fall apart uh, there. Now after after they. Uh, fired Willie Randolph, that's when things started to take a, a downspin there. But he's been always been a pretty good a baseball guy, especially when it comes to scouting young players. But there's seems to be this idea amongst certain fans out there of, oh, Hal Steinbrenner brought these guys in to put Brian Cashman on the hot seat. That you know, if Cashman and the Yankees don't do big things this year, that Cashman could be out. People, Brian Cashman just signed a four-year contract extension. He's not going anywhere. Plus, he's been part of this organization since his mid-20s. He's been the general manager of this team since 1998. He's dealt with all of the, a lot of the craziness of George Steinbrenner, what was able to survive uh, you know, the, the aura of Joe Torre, was able to survive, survive a, a bad look in firing Joe Girardi after taking the little engine that could New York Yankees in 2017 all the way to Game 7 of the ALCS and has survived postseason failure after failure with the Aaron Boone era. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be in the Yankee organization as long as he wants to be there and as long as Hal Steinbrenner wants him to be there. What this is, to me, whether this was told to him by Hal during a end-of-season meetings or it's something that he came to himself. He finally had that come-to-Jesus moment w- w- with himself, realizing this organization has to change a bit. You know, it, everything cannot be by the books. Everything cannot be based on what the seemingly all-telling analytics tell them to do. You're bringing in some guys that, yeah, they'll look at the analytics, but at the same time realize baseball is played by real living human beings, people with a heartbeat, people with a pulse, people with a brain, people that, you know, know, every situation is not the same as previous moments you know the stakes rise in the playoffs and you can't just treat each of those moments like you did in the regular season like they did uh, with 
the Garrett when they pulled Garrett Cole in Game Three against the Astros, or when the the way they used the bullpen at times against the Guardians in the first round. Sometimes you have to have a feel for the game. And that's what Manaya and Saban do. Bringing in two smart baseball guys that are an extra voice for Cashman to lean on. Saying, yeah, the, the, we understand what the numbers say. But you've got to be able to look beyond the numbers. You've got to be able to look at that situation. Have a feel for it. And decide, is the numbers telling me the right thing here? Or... What does my gut tell me? The, when I'm watching Garrett Cole at pitch number 95 in the, the sixth or seventh inning, does he give me the best shot or does going to my fourth or fifth reliever in the bullpen give me the best shot to get out of this situation, especially when Garrett Cole is still throwing 100 miles an hour at this point? So that's all this is. That it's smart baseball guys coming in, joining Brian, b- being another voice to lean on because he realizes that this team needs to change its ways a bit. They're still going to use analytics. No, but I think all of baseball realizes they have to change a little bit when you see some of the rule changes that are coming in this year with the shift being eliminated, with the pitch clock being thrown in. The human element is going to be brought back into things here and be made more of a factor than it has been in recent years. So Brian Cashman's not in danger, but hopefully this is a sign that the Yankees are changing their ways, that he realizes they have to change their mindset if they want to get to that ultimate goal of winning the World Series. Something they haven't done in 13 years. It's something that, how about they concentrate themselves on winning one first? See, so many times in this offseason, or even the last couple of years, I've heard Brian Cashman speak in the plural, saying we want to win championships. I've heard Boone say that. I heard Aaron Judge say that at his press conference, saying I want to help bring championships here to this great franchise. You haven't won a title since 09. How about win one before we focus on plural? But hopefully what they've done this week is a sign of changing their ways. Something that I know is not just a baseball fan, but as a Yankee fan, makes me very happy. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, January 9th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a fun, safe, happy, healthy week. Enjoy this thing we call life, people. We only get one, so live it up. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then... Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. 
I'll be back.